0: Book of Romans, chapter 13, the latter part of this chapter. After Paul has talked about all the ways of practical Christian living and being a living sacrifice in so many circumstances, even last week as a lad talked about how that is in relationship with civil authorities, Paul says the following, starting in verse 8 Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. May God bless the reading of his inspired and inerrant word, you may be seated. There once was a real person that I'd like to talk to about talk to you about a name. His name was Aurelius. Aurelius lived in the fourth century in Algeria and then moved to other parts of Europe in North Africa, and what was then the Roman Empire. We'll call him Ari from here on out. Ari was a really bright young man who showed extraordinary intellectual promise. And he even uh, rose through the ranks uh, by learning from the, some of the best philosophers in the Roman Empire. Um, he uh, went to the philosophical schools in Carthage, in Rome, in Milan, Italy, and along the way, he dabbled with various worldviews. He dabbled with skepticism, you know, asking questions without a sincere desire to pursue answers. He he took, uh, he took on a, a licentious lifestyle uh, along with some of these worldviews with wild living. And he did that because most of these worldviews said that the world is really not something you that 's worth living for, so eat, drink, and be merry, just party hard because this this, this is you get this life, and that 's it and As a result of this, he fathered a child out of wedlock and lived with the, that mother of that child for fifteen years. Yet he found that having a wife and a child during that time kept getting in the way and hindering his career and around. This time, he dropped his live-in girlfriend and the child. He experienced a midlife crisis. And in 386 A.D., at the age of 32, Ari started asking some really big questions about life and about himself. He began to listen to his Christian mother. Her name was Monica. Monica. And he also listened to a Christian friend, Olypius, who both talked to him about Christ and had for years been trying to persuade him about Christ. Upset about his life, troubled by what was going on with all the strained relationships, his declining career. One day, Ari sat in a garden wrestling with his thoughts. And as he sat in the garden, he heard from a nearby house the words of a little child saying, tolelege, tolelege, take up and read, take up and read. So Ari found a Bible. And he, start, he did the old classic, you know, we always tell you as pastors not to do this, don't So don't do this all the time, but he did the old point thing, you know, where you just open your Bible and you point to a verse. He did that. And he came to our text today. And as a result, it changed his life forever. He became a Christian He felt the release of the forgiveness of sins reading this text and owning what it says. And as a result, it changed his trajectory, his life, the way he related to people. It changed everything, even in the writings that he began to write in the years after he became a Christian pastor. And of course, the Ari I am talking about is the famous Aurelius Augustine. The great church father who had a tremendous impact on Christian history during the Roman Empire and heavily influenced, uh, influenced the church and protected the church with his writings. And it all began with Aurelius Augustine feeling his need in the mess of his life. Uh, he wondered how he was supposed to live his life, where he was supposed to go in life, He was perplexed by these questions. And he turned to our text that gave him insight into what he was supposed to do. Ever felt that way? When life and relationships can become so vexing or troubling that you wonder, what exactly am I supposed to do? What's the big thing I really should do at this time? How do I even handle people? In the midst of the trial, well, today in Romans 13, Paul gives an answer to the question of how to handle people, how to engage people, the real spiritual strategy that we're to pursue because it is the way of Christ. And, of course, that way that we're going to talk about today is the way of love. And so we're going to look at today... uh, Uh, Romans 13, in really three segments. We're going to look at it in this, where uh, Paul exhorts us to love well, to wake well, and even to repent well in order to love with the love of Christ. So let's look at the first exhortation in our text, getting at the question, what is the big thing I'm supposed to do in life? In every circumstance, what's the one thing you can narrow it down to? Well, Paul answers uh, for us. Here in verse 8, when he says, Owe no one anything, basically in anything in any circumstance, except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Think about this. Paul has just, in chapters 12 and 13, talked about what it means to love, even back in verse 9 of chapter 12, where he says, let love be genuine. And he's talked about how we're to love in all kinds of circumstances with people in church, with uh, uh, circumstances where we're under trial or someone else is under trial, even when we're in conflict. And he goes to even another level when he talks about how we're to love in the case of an enemy coming after us. And finally after all that he jumps to the discussion that Lad preached on last week of how we're to act and interact with civil authorities yes even to love them in our text Paul is telling us all these things as a way to treat people in every circumstance love in other what w- in other words is the ruling virtue over all virtues according to Scripture. Now, we shouldn't be surprised about this. Back in chapter 12, Paul told us that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and we're to do that even in humble service in places like the church. But you should know that when God calls us to be living sacrifices, the most acute point where you will feel that, and I feel that, is when we're called to love even in tough circumstances. That's why he says, let love be genuine. Now, at this point, someone could say, thinking about all these circumstances of loving enemies, loving in conflict, this is the hard stuff. Even loving our <clears throat> civil authorities <laughs> with honor and respect, as he goes on to say, I mean, you're asking a lot. Isn't God asking a lot in that? And you can imagine someone saying, How can I be so sure that love is the main thing I'm supposed to do? After all, Scripture has tons of commands in them. Lots and lots of things we can do to people. How do I know that love is the ruling thing in that process? Well, Paul makes it clear in our text that... uh, we have three reasons why God makes love the highest thing, the most important thing. Now, let me stop for a second before I get in these three reasons why in our text. What do you think is right now in our culture the highest commandment? What's the most important thing we are encouraged to do culturally in our world and how we interact with people in all kinds of circumstances? I would submit to you that the great command of American culture is this. Be nice. Be nice. Live and let live. Don't be mean. Now, I want to say that we as Christians, uh, we're not interested in being mean. We certainly want to give people appropriate freedoms when they're due them. But is being nice the highest value? Is it really what God calls us to as Christians? Paul's answer is no. It's love. Love is the highest virtue to we're to pursue. And his evidence shows up in the rest of our text here. When he says this, he says in verse 9, starting with the first of three reasons why we should pursue love, he says, "Is the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not. Murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, or any other commandment are summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul highlights most of the, what's called the second table of the Ten Commandments in this text. And you remember the Ten Commandments. It's, it's a ten total commandments, but they're broken up historically or theologically often in two tables. The first four commandments are those duties which... We have towards God in how we love him. The last six, you know, starting with honor your father and mother going all the way down to you shall not covet. Actually address how we're to love other people. Paul is saying in our text that these are summed up in what Jesus himself talked about in Matthew 22. If you could sum up those last six, it's uh, those six commandments and the ten commandments. It comes out as this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Jesus' own interpretation that he, Paul is reiterating in our text. And the reason why Paul is saying this is because uh, he wants to maintain a connection between the love of people and the love of God in the Christian's life. God has given us these commandments to show us and define for us what love is because very often we want to define love on our, on our terms. We commonly ask, and it's not an unfair question, what communicates love to you? But the greater question is, what is God's definition of love and how is that communicated? Paul is reminding us that God has given us a clear idea of what love looks like in how we interact with each other. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. The reason why Paul says this is very often... Uh, we, all, many of us, and I would put myself in this camp, are very idealistic when it comes to love. Meaning we like the idea of love, but it's difficult with the reality of love. Some of us want the ideal love where everything is easy in relationships, when in fact, relationships in a broken world are challenging. The more you're in relationships, the more challenged you are to grow and get bigger spiritually, even emotionally. In Paul's day, this was frustrating for some of the Christians. They would often say, you know what's most important? I need to love God. That's the most important. And Paul would say, amen, you need to love God. But you got to understand from the Ten Commandments, loving God is totally tied to loving other people you cannot love god without loving people you cannot love people without loving god in the christian ethic of love they go together paul is saying biblical love means i actually look out for other people just as much as i would look out for myself this is already radical stuff Really radical because we live in a world that says, be nice, which just leaves it all I got to do is just be nice. It doesn't require much of us, does it? But already Paul's recalling us to a bigger life and to grow. Paul gives a second reason in our text when he goes on to say, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does not harm the spiritual or physical well-being of another. It does not bring violence to them is another way to say it. But I, love a, I might have a note here for the health profession. We've got many in our church who are connected with uh, the hospitals around and the health profession. Doesn't this sound a little bit like the Hippocratic Oath? The Hippocratic Oath being do no harm when you're caring for people. That is what we are called to in our relationships is a kind of Hippocratic oath to paying attention and not doing harm to people unnecessarily. The third reason Paul gives uh, tells us that love is the highest virtue comes in verse 8b and is reiterated in the main point of verse 10. He says, love is the fulfillment of the law, the law of God. If you want to know why we should take the biblical call to love so seriously and why it's so important and why we have to go beyond just being nice, it's here. Love fulfills the law of God. Love is actually pleasing to God. Let's be clear. What kind of love are we talking about? Is it the love that I just feel for people inside as an emotion But it may not be connected to action. Well, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Sentimentalism is often a cheap imitation of love. No, there is a kind of love that requires much more of us. And it shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn with me there and let's look at the profile, what biblical love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to look at this because this is a common thing that's, that's read in a lot of weddings. You've heard it probably a million times at weddings. But really, this is way more than just for marriage and weddings. It's for all relationships. And Paul is speaking to the people in Corinth who had a unique issue of loving each other. They were a contentious lot with one another. And this is what he said to a talented group of people, starting in verse 1. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And here it goes love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When you read that kind of love, we are inspired by it, aren't we? But in many ways, it seems unattainable for us. This is a kind of love we're not really used to in both experiencing it and giving it away. And believe me, it's way more than a checkbox kind of love that I just do this or that. Take, for example, it says love isn't self-seeking. It means you look out for others' needs more than your own, as Philippians 2 says, or even as Romans 12 itself says. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, that means we're looking out for them in as, in caring for them in as much as we would want someone to care for us love is a great challenge for all of us but i think god has a great challenge in us for us that even i have learned about some of you may know that i was once an engineer And engineers are not known for being relationally adept people. That's uh, present company excluded among my engineering brethren here, but normally we're pretty task-oriented. Let's get the job done. And I was that way a lot as an electrical engineer in the computer industry for years. And um, God called me out of engineering and into the ministry. It is my running joke and chuckle that God called me because he had a trick in mind. That he wanted to teach me love on a new level by being in ministry. Because here's what's happened. The more I get into ministry, the more I do relationship with people, the more I'm exposed for my lack of love. The more I realize I have a long way to go in what I thought I was a lover theoretically. But in point of fact, I'm learning my ways aren't that loving. I am regularly reminded of this. It is a part of the rhythm of following Christ that He will lovingly expose you, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the beauty of what God has done in my life with my marriage, with this church, with other churches I've been a part of, with Christian friends and family, is that in the give and take of those relationships, I have been loved in ways I didn't deserve And I have been able to give love in ways that I never would have done 20 years ago. You see, all of these verses are getting at the higher purpose of what God's doing in you and me through the word of God. He's making us into lovers. And many of us are scared to death about that. Great news of the gospel is you're not alone. There is a bigger picture to learning how to love. And it shows up in our next verses as Paul shifts the conversation in our text. Starting in verse 11, he says this, "'Besides this you know the time "'that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, "'for salvation is nearer to us now "'than when we first believed. "'The night is far gone, the day is at hand.' So what does Paul talk about? This is a significant shift. He's talking about love. You've got to love others as uh, uh, as you would love yourself. Uh, It's fulfillment of the law. And then he shifts to this conversation about um, the time and darkness and light and all kinds of things like that. The reason why Paul shifts is he is showing us a significant step in the process of learning love. Think about this. When you are struggling in a marriage and things aren't going well and you feel like we are not connecting. And you're not sure what to do. When you are wrestling with strained relationships and family, and that shows up particularly in the holidays. When you are struggling financially or physically and it's hard to think of anyone but yourself and your need. When you are engaged at work and things just aren't going well because of you or because of your boss or the company's situation, life gets right up in your face. Everything is right there. It's hard to see. And the result is when things stay right here, we fall into a spiritual slumber. We fall into a state where we're less in tune to Christ and more in tune to our need. Paul says in this context, wake up! Wake up and look at the big picture of God's story. Move away from the microscopic view of our issues and our troubles for a moment, though it's not wrong to lament. Move to the higher level of like flying an airplane over the grand view of all that God is doing. Look at the gospel big picture, is what he's saying. How you fit into creation, how you fit into the time. Notice he talks about the time here. What's he talking about? Well, the time is a technical term, talking about that time between Christ's first and second comings. When he first came and gave his life on the cross to when he will come again in the second coming. That's the time that we live in. And it is a time where, as he goes on to say, light, day, is breaking in. As the gospel is going out and Christ's truth is going out into our lives, and the night is fading, the night being the rule of Satan, the rule of worldliness, the rule of sin. God is breaking through all that in our lives so that salvation is finally to come one day in Christ. What Paul is saying is wake up, wake up well, and stay awake. In Christ as he brings light into your life. Remember what Jesus said about himself. In John 8. He said I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But will have the light of light. Jesus came to bring light. To bring truth. To bring righteousness. He came to bring life to us. The stuff. The marrow of the stuff that we long for. So that when we follow him, it changes how we live as we live in light. What does it look like to live in light? Number one thing, you got to remember. When Jesus brings his light of the truth and God's word into your world, you will feel exposed. You will feel like you've been caught. I've certainly felt that in recent weeks with some of the things I'm learning about myself. But the second thing God will do is He not only brings the light and exposes you and, and, and reveals you, He also brings the cross, the resurrection. And He reveals Himself as this forgiving Lord who not only reveals the junk, but His glory to you and what He's accomplished for you. And there's even a third thing He brings. It's a call to be light and salt. To be light and salt in a very broken world. Paul is saying wake up and live well in the light of Christ's way. So, we're called to love well. We're called to wake well. That begs the question then, what does that look like? I mean, we're living in kind of big ideas right now. How do we bring it down to the ground? Put the cookies on the bottom shelf for all of us. Well, Paul gives us specifics in verse 13 and 14, where he lays out four steps of repentance unto love, of repenting well unto love. Let me stop here. Let me remind you, repentance seems like an old word, a kind of archaic word in our day. We don't use that kind of word, but it is the word of the of the Bible that talks about change. And we're always talking about changing in our culture. Changing our looks, changing our our diet, changing this, changing that. It is a way to describe change as a way of turning. As if you're walking in one direction and you turn the other direction. That's the picture that repentance paints for us in this text. So, what what does repentance look like in our text today? First, you put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light this language of putting on and putting off is the language of clothing that you'll find throughout the new testament of the bible and it's like this paul is saying as sinners we are born with a coat of darkness and that we, until we come to Christ, carry around the works of darkness in our hearts and in our lives. But when we come to Christ, we're called once and for all to take the coat of darkness off and to keep taking it off. In the things that are exposed in the light about us. All of us have to come to grips with those things. So the beauty of it is, Paul said, take it off. Take off the old coat of your identity in this world, in sin, even following the temptations of Satan, and put on a new coat. Put on the armor of light. I have to say a point of repentance for me this week was this. I thought about having a red coat being the good coat and a light blue Carolina coat being the other one. (laughs) But then I prayed okay Jesus, that 's wicked that 's not good so i, I can 't do that so so thanks to the Lord. He helped me with that so um, so we 're putting on white all right and um, but the vision here is beautiful. This language of putting on is the language of actually putting on a new life in the way you handle things, in the way you interact with people. And it it is a life that starts from the inside out in how you uh, relate to Christ personally. To put off and to put on is the language of repentance. When you stop one way of living, start another one that Christ calls you to in his word and through his law. That's what it's saying in our text in particular. Second, oh, I might even add, you put on the armor of light. You know what that means, right? If you're taking off the works of darkness and put on armor of light, he's saying, when you start this life, it'll be a fight. It's going to be tough. You need to be sober about that. Second aspect of repentance he puts in our text is walk properly or decently. The biblical language of of integrity is, is what he's talking about here. Uh, This is the way of Jesus. Uh, The way of decency shows up in Galatians 5. We live with a different kind of angle on life as Christians, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. Then Paul goes on to say, do not walk in particular aspects of darkness. He goes on to list six vices in our text. Five of these reflect the seven deadly sins that I could count. And the first four are clear allusions to licentiousness, wild living, orgies, sexual immorality, porneia is the Greek term there. But notice the last two the last two are sins that are more subtle, more sophisticated. And are very common in religious circles, jealousy and quarreling. Paul is bringing these up for a reason. You know why? Because the Roman Christians were struggling with them. We shouldn't be naive that Christians will give in to these things. And we also shouldn't, should realize that you cannot love your neighbor if you do these things. That's what Paul is saying. Not this way. You're not loving your neighbor this way. You're doing the complete opposite. He's really calling us and the people of Rome to repentance and giving up our old ways of license and even legalism. The third way is, is at the end of verse 14. He says, make no provision for the flesh. We've talked about that back in chapter 6, in Romans 6. That's where you kill off Sin. We're to kill it, and, or the old word is mortify our sin. That's where we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. And note, killing off sin does not start with mere technique or even spiritual strategy. It starts deep in your soul when you do business with Jesus, using the means of grace like the Word of God and prayer, and even fasting in some cases. The real heart of change starts with our desires, You see that in our text? That's where change really begins. Fourth and final step to repentance that leads to love comes from the verse that changed Augustine's life. Verse 14 is the one that he read that changed his life. And it says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What does Paul mean by this? Well, it's the gospel. We start following Christ by imitation, by putting on Christ. We follow his ways. We do what he does in his life. What that means is if you're going to be a Christian and following Jesus, you have to study Jesus. Good relationship always requires that you study the person you're in relationship with. You get to know them. And the way to do that is to get in the gospels at the very least. And study the ways of Jesus and His law and what He wants and carry that out in your life. There is a second thing, though, that comes with putting on Christ and it means receiving love from Christ. Pursuing Him, but also receiving love from Jesus. You cannot give what you haven't received. The only way to receive is to go to Christ and say, I need your love. Whew, that's a tough one for men like me to say. But that's what we do. But there is one last way that we put on Christ, and it's found in Galatians 3. Galatians 3 is the parallel text for this. 3.27 says, put on Christ. And it means we're to put on Christ by faith. When you put on Christ You actively believe in the cross and the atonement for your sins and how you haven't loved, how you haven't lived up to the law. As a Christian, we keep going back to the cross. We keep pursuing Christ to know his forgiveness even at the cross again. Not only that, and this is one that's really important if you're going to follow Jesus, is one that we've forgotten in evangelical circles, but it happily is a part of our reformed rhythm Is this, you trust in the righteousness of Christ. You go back and look at his life and how he lived in love like you didn't, like I didn't. He got it right. And if you don't go back to that, you know what you'll try and do? You'll not only have the clean slate of forgiveness, but you'll try and put something on your slate that'll make you look good as a Christian. But if you trust in the righteousness of Christ, You can know that you are clothed in his righteousness and you don't have to work so hard at looking good. Your job is just be faithful. You don't have to sound religious. You don't have to say all the right words. You're covered in Christ once and for all. By faith. Remember. You didn't put righteousness in your life in the first place. Christ did first. Our job is to internalize the righteousness of Christ and what that's done for us. And then to live with righteousness by obeying the law. It is an important step. And once you start to do that, you realize I can't do this on my own. Holy Spirit, come. Fill me. Tired of trying so hard to do this myself. You see, to love well, to wake well, even to repent well, all begins with believing well in Christ. If you are not a Christian today, like Augustine, you may be experimenting with all kinds of lifestyles. Maybe you're growing weary of self and you're seeing dead bodies in your wake, the messes you may have in relationships. Turn to Christ. Trust in Him to rescue you and give you a new life. He is the only one who has loved you unto death. If you are a believer and struggling to love, which all of us do, remember the only road to loving, like Paul is talking about, is also through faith. A faith expressing itself in love. You cannot love without Christ and being intimately connected to Him, even receiving His love to give it away. The highest rule of God in any and every circumstance with people, in relationships, is the call to love. So, Christian, hear the word that even Augustine heard his very first moment of believing in Christ love well. Wake well and repent well. Your life really will never be the same. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would open our hearts to this kind of love, which, if we're all really honest, is not easy. We pray that you would conquer our hearts, Jesus, first. And through the power of the Spirit, lead us to a life of love that you intended for us, that you created us to do. We pray for forgiveness for the ways we wander off in the license trying to self-medicate. We pray for forgiveness for how we get busy and active trying to be religious without you. We pray, Lord Jesus that we would clothe ourselves in You. And that would satisfy our souls and lead us to a life of love that we never thought was possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us. The example Dean gave, I want to read this.